0: a social worker I already had those advocacy skills like I already kind of knew what to do but like advocating for my daughter in like a medical way
1: um, was really challenging. Welcome to Complex Conversations brought to you by the Blue Bee Collective. I'm your host Chastity Short and I'm so glad you're here. Complex Conversations and the Blue Bee Collective exists to provide education, advocacy, and empowerment to families living lives with medically complex kids. We bring together families with complex care providers to empower you to live your very best life. Today, we're joined by Emily Limkey, who is a medically complex caregiver, a social worker, a published author, and an amazing human being to talk about a tool that she wrote to help get you organized, and help you to be that fierce advocate that I know you are. So I hope you enjoy the show. And remember, if you're here, you belong. Emily, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. (laughs) It's great to talk to you. So we had a phone conversation and immediately clicked with you. And I stalked your Instagram page for a long time before I reached out to you. And I love what you're doing. So would you mind telling us a little bit of background of what you're doing, kind of your history? mean, um, what led you to the point where you are now?
0: Sure. Um, yeah, I um, I am a caregiver. My name is Emily. I live in Maryland, right outside of Washington D.C. Um, I began my caregiving journey in uh, about six years ago when my daughter was born. Um, she was born premature. She was in the hospital. There was a nephew for a really long time, and um, eventually, when she came home, it was pretty clear that I wouldn't be able to go back to work. So. Um, I became a full-time caregiver then. Um, And things were really challenging, as I'm sure everyone knows. Um, They were really hard. It was very isolating. It was really challenging to try to um, just keep everything together and keep everything organized. She had a ton of therapy appointments. She had a ton of specialists. She had so much equipment. We had all these boxes showing up to our house. She had a feeding tube. There's just all of this stuff. So um I in 2018 I started Tiny Tubi Shop. It's an Etsy shop that um supports medically complex and two-bed families. And um you
1: can check it out. On Etsy, yeah, which is Etsy awesome shop. by the way. Tell us about what you sell there.
0: Thank you. Um yeah, so I started in 2018 selling um Tubi belts, which I call Nora Bands. My first name. Yeah. Um and I started with just selling those and um as I was taking her around to all of the Thousands of therapy appointments and specialists and everything. I'm like, wow, this is really great. Um, and the thing that's different is that they are non-slip, so they don't move around, which is the big thing. Um, because yeah. we, I had, I had tried a whole bunch of different ones, and they all just slid up and down her body, which wasn't helpful because it just was pulling up too. So. Um, which which is
1: so great you know it's crazy to me that the I mean I know now that some manufacturers do make the belts but when my son first got his g-button we couldn't find anything and so I am not a good sewer like you are but I was making these like terrible scraps of (laughs) these like belly bands trying to keep them because I was so scared of them ripping the button out so Mm -hmm. it's so needed um, and I love that they're non-slip and all that yeah it's funny you say that because I
0: didn't know how to sew I taught myself to sew. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, So cool. The first sewing projects I did were for Nora. I thought there has to be something that's better than this. So um, I bought a $99 sewing machine off of Amazon. I went to Joanne Fabrics. I just tried a couple things, and I just did it on my kitchen table. And um, the first few I made were not good. I'm just sure that they were not good. Um, But they've gotten – they're really good now, and I, I turn out a lot of them still every week. I mean, I have people that come back multiple times a year and they can size up and they say that they love them. I mean, I have like lo- a loyal fan base now, Norban people. who oh my gosh. buy All the time. So, um, I mean, I, well, anyway, I sell Norbans. I also make these little, um, uh, like emergency to be repair kit pouches that have a waterproof lining on the inside. So if there's like a spill or you have some nourish or Kate farms or something that's stuck in the syringe, you can wipe it out and it doesn't like stay in the whole bag. Cause I know that oh my stuff gosh, does not that's come so
1: out good. easily. So I
0: mean,
1: the innovation yeah. that comes into being uh, a medical mom and being like, okay, I just ruined a whole bag. So let me figure yeah. out how to fix this. Yeah. And you're sharing right. it with other people. It's awesome. Right. And well, like, you can only you can
0: only go through so many like giant Ziploc bags before you're like, this is enough. Like I can't do it right. anymore. So um, right. but yeah, there's a ton of stuff there, like stickers. I make all sorts of stuff. So that's kind of like my retail um, side that I do. And then I also started the, um, the caregiver compass. It was originally called the Medical Mama Compass. That was in that was last summer in 2022. Um, and it is a all in one notebook. It's got everything you need all in one place to manage your care for a medically complex loved one. It's got space for your medical team, doctor's appointments, appointment log, insurance, the insurance call log, space for the DME supplies, spending. It has everything you need. And the thing that I really like about it is that it has um, a lot of space for caregiver reflection and self-care. I am, was, still am a clinical um, social worker in my past life before um, I became a full-time caregiver. So the mental health aspect is really important to me. Mm -hmm. And being a caregiver can really take a toll on your mental health. You feel like you're not doing enough. You feel like you don't know the right answers. Um, It can just be really challenging. And I think that there's such a need for um, caregiver self-care that I've incorporated that into my notebook. So each week, there's a weekly prompt that you can just kind of like reflect on. Not meant to like replace therapy. Everyone should get therapy. Therapy is important. Um yes but everyone it's should just, get
1: therapy. <laughs> I yeah, agree <laughs> everybody
0: needs it. Um but it's just like a little prompt for you to just kind of think about some of the things that are happening in your life and things that are going great and things that, you know, you should be proud of yourself for because I know that can
1: feel hard to as a caregiver. So um right we only see yeah. the negative things. I think that's so important. Right. Uh, I think so my son was born in 2011. I'm like that's terrible. I'm having to think back. Um <laughs> And I don't know, I didn't, I mean, there wasn't as much internet community. I didn't really feel like I had a community of other medical moms at, at all. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I really didn't know how to navigate anything. So one with the caregiver compass, that would have been amazing because I was everywhere, you know, and I'm, my mind is is not like a type A. So I'm just kind of like, you know, uh, but with the mental health part, nobody was talking about that. And so, or that I heard anyway. And so I think it's really Mm -hmm. important conversation to talk about and just recognize that, well, you know, mental health for everyone's important, but especially if you're a caregiver, if you're a medical parent or a medical caregiver, it is so hard because you really, I mean, you're just like keeping someone, literally keeping someone alive every day. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes your mental health can fall to the side. And the next thing you know, you're on your couch and you haven't showered in a few days or brushed your teeth and you're like, whoa, what, what happened here?
0: Yeah. Ask me how I know.
1: Yeah. How do you know?
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, we've, I mean, we've all been there. Yeah. You know, days yeah. go by when was the last time I left the house or when was the last time I actually got dressed on purpose? Um, you know, that I sat down and I had like a meal by myself that wasn't like standing over the sink or waiting on hold or something, you know, something right. that just just take care of yourself. And I know that self-care looks different for everybody. And I mean, for me, it's nice to go get my nails done, but like that's not self care for me. Self care is like something that's gonna make me feel like I'm contributing or something that's gonna make me feel like I'm helpful or there's something that just is relaxing to me. So like I do a lot of sewing for my self care. Um I work on my little business and stuff for my self-care because I love helping other people and connecting with other caregivers. That's just something that I've always loved to do as like my social work background. Um so I just think I just think that's is really important. And I designed it in a way so that you know, you're not always like thinking about all of these things. So, you know, when you're a caregiver, you don't, sometimes you don't even know what you should be thinking about. Like, what should I do next? What, what should I be thinking about? Should I try to get them in therapy? Should I be calling insurance about these things? And I've kind of designed it in a way for new, new caregivers. That way they have, um, kind of a roadmap or compass, if you will, about like, um, to think about some of the things that they should be thinking about. Like, you know, you should be keeping track of your insurance. You should be keeping track of your spending. It's kind of like a little training book, I think.
1: It's Um, so, um, I love it. I wish that this existed whenever I, I was in that place. I might get it just for my daily life, even though I don't have a medical kit anymore. I feel like I can't even manage my daily life anymore, you know, as a regular person now. So yeah, Yeah, it's. yeah, amazing. I, just, I
0: think that... I think it's oh go ahead great. So I was just gonna say like you know I have other friends who have used it just for their typically developing families to keep track of all of their kids things that they go for the doctor or their immunizations or whatever. Um, but um, I, that's I was actually inspired to write it because when we left the NICU, um, and I think I think I might have told you the sort of it. But when we left the NICU, we left with like inches high stacks of paper, just like reams of paper, and you know we were there for a really long time. We were there for 97 days. It's not like That's a we, long like, time. blew in and out of there and they didn't know us. Like I was there every day. I slept on the pullout couch. I ate the food off the tray. Like I showered in the little locker room that they had. Like I lived there for months. And on day 96, they said, okay, well, you guys are going to go home tomorrow. We're going to give you all your stuff and, you know, have a, nice life basically yeah. and they I just think that they could have prepared me a little bit better because that morning we woke up they wheeled like a cart in with just shopping bags of feeding tube supplies extra stuff like all of these supplies just in shopping bags just like shopping bags of, of stuff and they handed me like a ream of paper and they said you know all of her specialists are in there her discharge stuff her phone numbers follow ups, it's all in there just
1: like look it over and like, let us know if you have any questions. Look it well, over the thousand right. pages. No big deal in your free time. The right. Newborn with like, the... Right. I mean, it's
0: not like we didn't have anything else to do. It's just like, there has to be a better way. And if someone would have sat me down and said, look, here's your discharge paperwork. I'm going to give it to you the day before or a couple of days before. Why don't you look it over and tell me you have any questions? Why don't you highlight or like make a list of all of the special appointments that we've made for you? So I don't have to dig through these thousands of pieces of paper because they all look the same. And like, there's a lot of repeated information. Like, did you already read that page? I don't know. So if someone would have just sat me down and looked at it, everything with me, I would have felt so much more prepared and confident in what I was supposed mm-hmm. to be doing. So that's kind of like,
1: that's kind of like my background for why I decided
0: to move forward. Yeah. With
1: it. I can totally relate to that. I think that's a common, um, a common experience of people. So we were in the NICU for five weeks or eight weeks, nine weeks. I care. Anyway, it was a while. We 29. went home for a week, and then we went back, and we were in the regular pediatric ICU, and, and then that's where he got his trach and his ventilator, and then we were up in the transitional care unit. So we were there for a total of four months. And when we went home, it was kind of the same thing. Like I've been there every day. Every, you know, every everybody's coming in, teaching me how to do all the stuff. I'm like, I got this. I got this. I know how to do CPR now. We did, you know, a thousand trach cha- changes to make sure it was good. But then we get home and the delivery person came and they delivered, I mean, probably 10 boxes of supplies. And Mm -hmm. I vividly remember sitting in his bedroom surrounded by boxes. And like, I'm like a go getter. Like, I'm going to get stuff done, you know. Uh, And I was just sitting there and I just remember like this feeling coming over and I was opening the boxes and I had no idea what like most of the stuff was because it was a different ventilator tubing than they used in the hospital. And I just like got up and left. And luckily we had this home health nurse who had been a home health nurse forever. It's the first day I met her actually the day we went home, she had been a home health nurse. And I just like went and laid on my bed and was just like, I, like I can't do this. And I came back in a couple hours later, she had taken everything out, organized it, taught me how to do everything. But I'm like, it wasn't for that woman who happened to be there, who happened to know all about ventilators and all this equipment. I'm like, it would have, I was so overwhelmed at that point, much less all the ball of appointments and all that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm like, why does it have to be like this? This doesn't seem like a very good way to do it. Yeah. I think that's super
0: common too, is just, you know, what the, the supplies that they use in the hospital comes from a different retail provider than the size of the distributor, than what you'll end up getting through your DME. So, you know, even though it's the same thing, it probably does the same job. Like the tubing is the same. It the package looks different. The connection looks different. Mm-hmm. Like you're just not used to it. And I know that it's like a small change, but I mean, that can be, that can really throw you off. Like if you're not using the same exact thing um, we had the similar, similar experiences, like feeding tube pump bags. Like what, why it's, sh- it's the same. It's the same, but like, it's just a little bit different. It's not the same size. Yeah. This is what I was used to. Um, and it's, it's so overwhelming. Bless that nurse who came and helped you put everything know. away.
1: So all many parents have hurt. that
0: same thing, just like sitting there with like, like thousands of dollars worth of boxes, just to read you. just like all of this stuff yeah. you don't know how to use it. You don't know what's important, like what's the good stuff that you're going to want to keep using all the time, and then what's the stuff that you're like hate this. I'm going to try to find it, like on the black market, like of other stuff that you exactly. want. Exactly.
1: Um Or or like this is for wound care. This is for the ventilator. This is for the feeding supplies. Like I didn't even know that. And I mean I'm you know, I feel like I'm doing pretty good in life. But at that moment, Mm -hmm. I was like, I know nothing. (laughs) Why did they send me home with this kid? Right. With all this stuff. Uh, Yeah, that, you know, going back to the mental health, I feel like in the self care, um, I feel like society always tells us like self care is like taking bubble baths and getting your nails done and getting your hair done, which is like, I love all that stuff. But really, it's just like figuring out what you said, like figuring out something that gives you energy. So for you, like working on your business and sewing, you know, sewing your, um, the, the belly bands and all that stuff, the stuff that gives you energy, you figure that out. And just talking to you a few times, like you're just amazing and you have energy and you're, you know, you, you bring excitement to other people. And I think that's hard whenever you're going to this caregiver journey, trying to figure out, Okay where, like, what can I do realistically in my life? And that's, that's part of what I'm trying to do in the collective is to empower caregivers, to be like, you're not just a caregiver. You're also a, you know, human, whether you're a woman or a man or whatever you are. Um, and having a, we, we still have to reclaim some of that and figure out, like, we have to keep taking care of ourselves because if not, then you will end up with like, I haven't showered in a week. And (laughs) I only put a bra on a lot of times because we had a home health nurse and I had to, to be honest. (laughs) I mean, they kept me from like going into a deep depression Yeah, because I knew every day I had to get up because someone was coming into my house. Mm -hmm. So Mm
0: -hmm. yeah, I don't know.
1: I, I completely understand that. Yeah. Just the,
0: the idea of like, um, you know, like your identity as a, as a caregiver, you can, it's so easy to get it just completely wrapped up. This is, this is, this is who I am now. I'm just a caregiver for my child or my loved one. And I think that the it, it's just really valuable to kind of like tease it apart that like part of you is a caregiver but part of you is also a woman, a man, I'm binary, it could be whatever. I mean, you could be a cook, you could I'm a sewist. like you could be whatever. You could be an athlete, whatever. You know? Just you need to make mm-hmm. sure that you keep that those parts of yourself still vibrant and alive. So that way you have some of that energy to keep fueling what is for many people a lifelong caregiver journey you know mm-hmm. some of us become caregivers and it takes a long time to sink in that this is for the lifetime of your child or your loved one this is this is not like a sprint this is a marathon and you have to keep you have to be able to keep going and being able to re-energize yourself and like refuel yourself It's just really vital to yeah
1: it's so important in learning I mean really it is it really is Mm -hmm. like um I remember a while back looking at the divorce rate and I know not every caregiver is married but just to show you or just to show the stress that it that you have as a caregiver so it was like 85 percent some some of the stuff I was looking at said like up to like 89 percent I was like is that real that's wild to me but I don't know I think a lot of us especially women like lose ourselves in caregiving, like this is what I am, like, this is what has to be done. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to I'm going to be a badass at it. But also we kind of lose ourselves. So that's like what kind of happened to me. And then my son, you know, died when he was eight. And then I was like, I had like a full blown identity crisis. Like I have no idea who I am. Like being a medical being a like regular, quote, unquote, mom to like, typically developing kids. I know this is like, probably bad to say, but it was such a letdown because I was like, this is it. Like I just have to cook and like do their laundry and bring them to school. Like, I know that sounds terrible. I don't mean to offend anybody, but after that high level of like, I mean, it was like important work. Right. And it, the other kids are important work too, but it's different.
0: Yeah. I can, I completely (laughs) identify. I mean, I only have my one, my one Nora, but um, I mean, yeah this like is that all that you have to worry about is just dinner or I don't know like I don't know what do you what do you think about all day I don't know I don't know know. yeah I don't know I don't don't want to offend anyone either but you know like I don't know
1: I don't know well I think it's important to have these these topics because there's somebody out there that's like oh yeah I feel the same way but I don't want to say it because I don't want to I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings we'll say it
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'll we'll say it. say
1: it. There you go. We're not scared. I'm the first to say it. Yeah, I'm not.
0: I'm not. You can't scare me. I've been scared. I know. <laughs> it takes a lot right, to scare I mean, us,
1: medical parents, and our caregivers. It, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. You know what? It's interesting. Um, so, okay, so Dominic died three years ago, and then I have four other kids, and one of them is a teenager. He's 17. And he called me last year. Okay, so talking about like, Um, the same topic of like, is this, is this it just being like a regular mom, which now I've love and I'm cool with and everything. I've worked through a lot of issues, but um, he called one day at school and he was like, I'm having a lot of chest pain. My right arm is going numb and there's pain shooting down it. It hurts in my neck and my chest. And so I just like, even though it was the right arm, right. Not the left arm. I just shoot. I'm like in medical mode. And that had, you know, it, it had been three years at this point since Dominic died that I've had to deal with like a quote unquote emergency, even you know, like though this was an emergency. Yeah. I was like, yeah. stay right there. I'm coming. So I came in and get him. We're going to the ER and on the way, I'm like, <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, but I'm like, I'm, I'm playing the scenarios. I'm re- rehearsing my CPR for his age person. He was like six, six, four. So I'm like, okay, um, I'm figuring out how I'm gonna pull my car over and tilt it so that I can pull him out of the car on the street and do CPR on him there because I can't do it in the car. And so that if we get hit, it'll spin the car away from us. Like it sounds crazy. But I it's have not crazy that, at all. I understand. I have not
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that the like level of Okay, you're speaking my language. Like the level of like incredibly wacky hypervigilance that we experience is just so high. Like you're right. Like where can I park so that when I inevitably get hit, like, it's probably not gonna happen. Like when someone inevitably right. like comes and like hits my car, are we gonna spin out and is it gonna hit us? Is it gonna run right. into that tree? Like is it okay? I completely you're
1: speaking my language. I got I know, it. And I'm hyper aware of every exit, every exit number. And I'm like, so if I need to call 911, I'm at this exit number and, but that being said, I have not been that calm in three years. I was like, I know this, I know how to save his life. I know how to figure this out. I know how to deal with the ER. I know how to advocate to make sure we get the right test to run. And then we get there. And of course, everything's fine. He just had like, um, oh some, I don't know, something, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. We went home, we went home that day. And then I was like, Whoa, that was really weird that like, it was almost like this, Enjoyment's not the right word, right? Cause that's, that's not your, your kid could potentially be in danger. There's not an enjoyment, but there's almost like this pleasure because I spent so long in this fight or flight and I was like, oh, I'm back. This is where, this is where I shine. I'm not good at just like making sure yeah. your clothes are clean, but if you're going to have a heart attack, I got you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's yeah, not normal. Like if- no no it's not but I understand you know it's
0: like that muscle it's like that muscle you haven't flexed in a while and you're like oh it feels so good to work out again you know like right. it's like you're back yeah. you're back yeah I get it I yeah, understand I'm, I'm I, back, I, I feel the same way yeah like in a in a crisis in like a medical crisis thing I don't I don't think I panic anymore I'm I'm yeah. I know what to do I'm ready mm-hmm. you know I know where the hospital is I know what to do I've filled out my emergency medical scenarios in my compass we know what to do in case of xyz even like the kind of wacky things that will probably never happen but they might you know um Mm -hmm. also I'm like really waiting for Nora to get stung by a bee for the first time because I don't know but like every time we're like outside (laughs) well every time we're like outside I'm like is there a bee is there a bee like maybe she's allergic and like I mean, I think I'm just thinking, like, it'll take, you know, this many minutes for the ambulance to get here. I don't even think that they carry the EpiPens. How long will it take me to get there? Like, hope there's no traffic. Like, it's like that kind of, like, crazy level. And I don't know if other parents think that. I don't know if typically developing
1: parents think that or if it's just the hypervigilance of, like, medical
0: yeah, I parents. Don't know. And,
1: caregivers. and there's almost I don't know. this, like, this, like, desire, like, can we just go ahead and get stung so that, that that's over so I can stop thinking about it? And I know if you're allergic.
0: Yeah. Like, Do you have that? Absolutely. I mean, I'll tell you exactly what happened when I gave my daughter peanut butter for the very first time. We, um, so she had a feeding tube for two years. We eventually ended up weaning her um, when she was about 18 months and she was in um, feeding therapy to like, you know, make sure everything was going okay. And, you know, she's doing really great in feeding therapy. And I brought the peanut butter with to the hospital where we went for feeding therapy every week. And I said, listen, here's some peanut butter you're here. I want you just to alert the staff. I know that I'm being kind of crazy with this, but just just humor me. Here's her peanut butter. Give it to her. And then I want you just to watch her for any sign. if you think she might be allergic for peanut butter. And we did. And I felt a lot better knowing that she's not allergic to peanut butter. loves peanut butter. We eat it all the time. But that first time was very nerve wracking for me. And I've, yeah. I've seen other videos since then of parents sitting in the ER parking lot, giving their kid like, you know, an apple with peanut butter or something and like waiting, because it's such a common allergy,
1: like you never know. I know. So maybe, I'm, maybe I'm not the only one. No, you're not am. the only one.
0: No, you're yeah. totally
1: not. I remember the first time I made my son's um, had a feeding tube his whole life. And, and but I blended up his food. So he was like in a growth spurt, and he was needing food in between his feeding times. And so I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm gonna make you a shake. And it didn't even occur to me that he could be allergic to peanuts because none of my other kids are. So I make him this shake. I put peanut butter like high protein, high fat because that's what his diet had to be for like his brain. And um mm-hmm. so I I I give him like, you know, 60 mils of the shake. And then um I noticed he started getting kinda hot. And then this is just totally like providential. My friend who had severe her kids with severe peanut allergies happened to come over at that point. And I was like, she kinda looked at him and she kind of looked at me. And she kind of looked at him and then she was like, what's, what's going on? I was like, nothing. He's just kind of red. I just gave him some peanut butter for the first time. And she was like, he's having a reaction. And I was like, Oh my God, what do I do? Like I had not even thought about that scenario. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's like, get Benadryl and we get Benadryl and turns out he had like a level four or whatever anaphylactic um, oh my goodness. allergy to it. So we carried an EpiPen for the rest of our life. And and then I was always like, if we're around, I mean, he didn't eat by mouth. He couldn't walk around by himself. So it was a little bit easier to control. But mm-hmm. I mean, even, even the allergy moms, I know that they, they get this, you know? Yeah. 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 I understand. Yeah. And, and, and that's one thing caregivers, um, you know, we all use our own experience of like, this is what, this is what th- being a medical mom looks like. So for me, it was trach and ventilator and feeding tube and wheelchairs and all the stuff. But being a medical mom can also be worried that your kid is who's typically developing in the cafeteria at school is going to have a anaphylactic reaction because he's exposed to peanuts, you know, Mm -hmm. or um, your kid with who's on the spectrum, you know, I mean, that's being a medical mom, too. And that's the same. I don't think there's like one trauma or one level that's different because you're still consumed with the thought of your own kid, you know, and kind of all these scenarios and what ifs and.
0: Mhm,
1: mhm. there's always more than one drama right right and there, so. there there's there's also you know I had this um there's like it's like equally I was equally worried that he would make it as I was equally worried that he wouldn't make it. Does that make sense? yeah, like how can I do this for my whole life, and also how can I not have him? I feel like that's an honest thing that I want people to if they feel that to know. That other people feel that too. I don't know if it's normal, but I feel it. I felt yeah, it. I felt it.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's right, and I think that um, you know, however you're feeling as a caregiver, it's it's valid and it's hard, and um, you know, there's a lot of there's just a lot of complications always, um, especially when you're talking with with parents who have experienced a lot of trauma, um, a lot of medical trauma, hospital trauma. Um, I don't think any kind of trauma and it's just it's like the layers of it which can be really challenging too um, and then having some of these um, extra kind of like worries and thoughts that um, might feel kind of guilty for having at some point but they're they valid and I understand and other people feel those
1: same things too if that makes sense. Yeah well and, and the longer you kind of deal with this I found that the more I had like in my brain and I couldn't keep everything in it, which is another reason why the compass is so amazing because you don't have to keep everything in your brain. You know, you're already like hyper aware and kind of in this fight or flight all the time. I mean, hopefully you're not because it's not super healthy, but a lot of us are or were. Um, so having that where you're like, I don't even have to worry about that because it's right here. My information's right here and putting it out as a way to relieve your stress too. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that, I actually just was talking to another caregiver about this. It's It's really, it's such a relief to be able to put some of this information out of your brain and just put it someplace else. And it's also great because, you know, God forbid you get sick and you have to take your kid to the neurology appointment or something, you have a record of what's actually gone on at the neurology appointment and your partner or grandma or, you know, the nurse or whoever else can like fill in some of these blanks that you have questions that you have some of the things you've been noticing um, and it's all it's just kind of out there it's like it's like a community that's like a, a communal way to share information about your loved one so that way your partner can take on some of that mental load um, your other reliable caregivers that you have grandma babysitter home health nurse they can kind of like see some of these other symptoms it's just another way to kind of like track everything um, and for me that was really helpful and like a weight off of my mental shoulders to be able to be able to pass some of that on to my, my husband, who's a great support. And, you know, other, other people that help take care of Nora.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that I was definitely as a medical mom, being a female guilty of like, this is my thing. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. And my husband is amazing and he's a great dad and a great, but I kind of took that so that whenever he would go to appointments I hadn't empowered him to know everything, the huge picture, right? Because he was busy doing his job. I was staying. I work, but I didn't work full time. So my job, I kind of saw as like, this is my job. That's your job. But then it kind of put him in a bad position because whenever, you know, something would happen or I would get sick or I was working and he had to bring him to appointments, he was kind of left out in the dark a little bit, which wasn't fair to him. Mm-hmm. Now that I look back.
0: Yeah. And my husband says this to me all the time, like, Emily, you have to share this information because if you get hit by a bus tomorrow like all of that information with nora is gonna go away like you are like the keeper of what's happened like you know i i'm like remember all of the dates of her surgery like exactly so she's gonna have she will have had eight surgeries like who remembers eight random dates over the course of the last six years me i guess i don't know so i like i wrote them down um, I can spell them all out. They're really complicated. I remember all of the surgeons, all of the specialists, every hospital we've been to, like, it's just all like in here. And like, if you're not, if you're not, uh, writing it down, you're not sharing it. Like that record, like medical records are one thing. Like you can request your records from the hospital, get them on a disc. People still use disks. You can, you can get all that stuff. You'll have it, but it's not the same as like being able to like, tell somebody exactly what happened and like give somebody that quick history when you go and you meet a new provider because the other private provider went to a different hospital like you need to be able to like share it with people and that's what that's what i think is really helpful about the caregiver compass is that you have it so that way you can share it with other people it's there you take you take it with you when you take your kid or your loved one to the doctor to their medical appointments to anything having to do with any of their health care and that way you have it in a spot that you can easily access when somebody else might need it. If God forbid I get hit by a bus.
1: Right. Right. And and I feel like um, it's also common for the main caregiver to almost become like the gatekeeper. Like um, there's other people who in a, in most, in a lot of situations who want to help, but it's kind of like, well, right, but I'm the best at it. So I'm going to do this and that's not really fair to yourself or to everyone else, you know, mm-hmm. that you're putting that burden solely on yourself instead of being like you can handle this, here's some information, you know, you can you can uh yeah. It's a it's a really good point of like making sure there's other people and having an elevator pitch of your kid's history so that if you are in the ER, they can quickly, you know, within 2 minutes list out the history and they're not having to text you on the phone or whatever. Um it's so good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's important. It is. It's really important. If if you had to give one piece of advice to a new medical parent or caregiver parent or caregiver loved one, um, now that you've been in it for a while, do you have anything off the top of your head? I didn't prepare you for this, so sorry. Oh, I'm thinking um just one
0: thing. Um well I would say I would say a couple things. I would say one. Make sure that you are um, working on your advocacy practice skills and flexing those advocacy muscles. Um, it's okay to tell doctors that you disagree with them. It's okay to ask for more time to think about it. It's okay to get a second opinion or a third or fourth or tenth opinion. Um, I would say that the doctors are not the be all end all of everything having to do with your child or your loved one. So there's that. I would say that there's. It's really important that you take. Good care of yourself, and that you find that time to rest and what, however, rest looks like for you, and to fill your cup. Um, and I would say that it's important to find your community. Um, you know, in just in the last few years, I think that the the kind of like social media boom has really helped this. But um, there's just so many more outlets now for caregivers to connect, to um, be able to kind of like talk about some of these things to validate our feelings and how we feel with some of the stuff especially some of the more complicated topics there's just a lot more space so i would say try to find your people try to find your community and see if um you can fit in i think that'd be my and take really good records obviously that's my that's like my whole thing you gotta you gotta take good records data is healthcare. data is advocacy you have to be able to keep track of this stuff to advocate for your kid. That's part of your advocacy um, journey. I love everything that you said.
1: Like there's so much wisdom in all of that. Um, the, the, The community, I think. So I like, I did like, I already told you, I didn't really have that, but then it, it was like, I remember the day and where I was and the light in the kitchen and everything, like the light coming in the window, because I opened my phone on Facebook and there was this woman from Istanbul who had found me, who had a kid with my same, diagnosis. Up until that point, I didn't know there was any living people at anywhere with it. We were told there's 17 ever recorded. So you'll like, this is it. And, and, and then constantly we had great physicians, but they would always say, we just don't know because there's nothing to go off of. And so this lady from Istanbul contacted me and through translate, like Google translate, we started talking and we found a handful of kids all over the world with it. And now that community's grown and there's dozens of kids and I'm still on the groups because, you know, just, I can still share like education or whatever with them. Um, but that, that, wasn't a huge thing having the, um, having the different community groups and that sort of stuff. And I'm so glad that that's there now for medical parents.
0: Yeah. And it's so easy to find, which is really helpful. You know, just, you can type it in and type in your, the name of your, um, your syndrome or your diagnosis or anything, and something pops up on Facebook, on Google, um, something from Global Genes or something like that. Um, and I just don't, on Instagram, I just don't know if that's something that was there even just a few years ago. And even the undiagnosed community is really booming um, just with different things. You know, there's, there's a lot of solidarity in that too, because, I mean, I know that that's a, a, another very challenging space to be in, just kind of not knowing um, specifically, you know, what may or may not be causing some of the things that you're experiencing so i think that that's that's important too you know just got to find you have to be able to find your
1: people um so the other thing you're talking about with advocacy i think is so important and even me being like a choleric and kind of a bull in a china cabinet or china shop however you say that um that's something that i had to learn and so i worked at the hospital i have um i am a PT so I'm in the medical field I worked at the hospital that he was always at I knew some of the doctors that he had before you know I knew them professionally and even that I was scared to advocate and so I would take this you know in the beginning my husband would say as soon as we pull into this parking garage he turned into She-Hulk and I, I wasn't trying to but like that's I was like in this protective kind of mama bear mode and it took me a while to learn how to advocate effectively without ostracizing everybody and still getting what what I wanted what, what we wanted, what my son needed and stuff. And I mean, that's one of the huge goals of, of the collective that I'm doing is to empower these parents and teach them how to advocate. If you come out swinging, they're not going to do anything. But if, and if you're too soft, they're also not going to do anything. There's a sweet spot. It's really hard mm-hmm. to learn.
0: Yeah, I I think that's great. I love that. Um, I Yeah, I agree. It takes a long, well, it took me a while to figure out kind of what to do. And I, like I said, I'm a social worker. I already had those advocacy skills. Like I already kind of knew what to do, but like advocating for my daughter in like a medical way um, was really challenging. And then, you know, you can, I mean, you can advocate as much as you want, but then you have like the insurance companies like right here, like saying, Nope, this is what you should do. And then you have the doctors over here saying, no, this is what I think you should do. So you have all of these people kind of pulling you in different directions, which is also hard because you have to be able to look, at your child or your loved one and say, you know, this is what I think we should do. You need to be able to kind of navigate between insurance and the doctors, you know, can we try this first? Can we give it a trial? Or are you willing to try for 30 days, 60 days? Can we try this medication for, you know, 2 months or whatever before we decide this isn't going to work? Are you willing to write me up and try to see if I can get me into this next clinical trial? Like are you will you have to be able to kind of stick your neck out and like ask for some of these things that even even though that it might not be the best thing, especially when you're talking about rare disease or something where there's only 17 people in the world that have, um, you know, your confirmed diagnosis, like they don't know what, they don't know what to do. How would they know? There's only, only 17 recorded cases. Like nobody really knows what's happening. And like, because everyone's so different, you have, you'd have to be able to kind of make a decision. You have to be kind of like the team leader. I've said before that like as caregivers, we're kind of like the, the hub, like the, the middle of the wheel and like all of these other things happening around us are like the spokes of the wheel. So, like, you know, you have your mm-hmm. PT saying one thing, you have your therapist saying another thing, you have your primary care doctor over here, you have your cardiologist, you have your neurologist, there's all these people kind of like around. And like, yes, your loved one is in there too, but like you are kind of like spinning all of these people so that the wheel keeps going. And it's important that you can um you can like effectively direct, I don't want to say direct, but you could effectively like tell these people what direction you want the wheel to go. Cause otherwise they're, they're going to know. And like, if you can kind of steer somebody a little bit, Hey, are you willing to try this with me? Are you willing to try this instead? Are we, can we stop this? Can we try trial something else instead? Um, They might listen to you. And that's really important. If you need, if you think that this med is going to work, you got to push for it when it comes to asking the doctor. And it can be, it can yeah. be hard. It can be hard to push up against the doctors and tell them, yes or no or ask for things because they're doctors you know we them such a high standard
1: I love that allergy the analogy you used of the wheel I think that's I've never thought of it like that that is perfect and you know even as a PT I've had I've had clients who whether it's me the therapy that I'm doing or a therapy that another therapist is doing I'll just ask them you know uh are you like are you still on board like we're working on feeding but how long are you wanting to work this before we can use those speech visits for communication or whatever? And they'll be like, well, I just, I don't really want to even do feeding anymore. I'm like, well, have you told your therapist? Well, no, like th- you're not going to hurt their feelings. They're here to start that they want to do what is going to make your life the easiest and mm-hmm. most, you know, productive and all of that. Like you're not going to hurt their feelings. And I think like, being able to also take rejection kind of mentally prepare yourself. Okay. What am I going to do? If I say, you know, I really want this medicine and the doctor says, you know, let's try this first instead, that could feel like a rejection and not, being able, you know, not taking that personally, kind of separating those professional conversations with how he or the physician feels about you and you feel about him on a personal level versus a professional level. You know, I think that's, I was just teaching a mom yesterday um, about that because she, this home health nurse wasn't working out. She goes, but I just love her. I, you know, I just feel so bad. She's having a hard time in her personal life, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa listen, this doesn't have anything to do with your feelings with her um, as a person, as a human. This has to do with what's working in your family right now for caring for your kids. She's not going to get her feelings hurt. She's a professional. It's okay to make sure that it's a mutually beneficial relationship." Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think like what you're saying about the medicine. I think that's really important. You know, if the doctor says, "Well, I think that we should try." at max x medicine first before and you, you want to try y you know i think it's important to be able to say to them okay look i understand i'm willing to try x medicine for 30 days for 60 days but i want you to know that i'm also interested in trying y so if this is something that isn't is or isn't going to work out i'm willing to try your way first but if that doesn't work would you be willing to trial this other medicine for me after so i'm willing to do it your way we can try it. If it doesn't work for me, that's fine. If it doesn't work for me or my loved one or my child, fine. But like being able to make it broker a deal, I don't know, kind of negotiate with them in just a way that that is kind of agreeable to all parties, everyone involved. You know, can yeah. we try this first? And then can we try this? Um, th- that can be really hard. Also, like it's, being it's able a to
1: though—that's really good.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, being able to like. The, the hardest thing for me is finding a therapist that's gonna work really well you know my daughter sees a lot of specialists, but like mostly she goes to speech she goes to p t she goes to o t those are the people that we see every week we see them so like I need a good relationship with you I need someone who is on board with like our whole journey like I can't just have someone that's there to just work on p t or speech i need I need you I need you on board with me I need you to understand the whole picture and the worst thing is like being on a waiting list for months and then you finally get to meet this therapist and they're like a dud. They're like a total dud, it's not gonna work. And then you're right. like back to square one and you're like, oh man, I gotta go back. A, I gotta find so somebody else. It's so frustrating,
1: I know. Yeah. I tell all of my therapy clients, I'm like, this has to be like, I have to fit, I have to be a good fit for you and your family has to be a good fit for me and there are zero hard feelings. So if I'm coming for two months and you're like, this just isn't working out, you know, this type of therapy or whatever, I am not going to be upset. The last thing I want is for you to be like suffering through these therapy sessions or vice versa, you know? And and um yeah, like for sure. Like because I'm in your life all the time as a therapist. Yeah. So I think you don't need because, that extra stress.
0: Yeah, it's cuz you have that perspective of like a caregiver who's used to like understands this. Like you're you're coming from the perspective of like another person who has utilized a ton of these different services and stuff who knows you know, you, even though this person may not be the best fit for me, like I still need to advocate for my person or my loved one and I
1: need to move on to the next one, you know? Yeah, and that's totally okay. I think it's okay. you have that perspective. Yeah. yeah, probably, probably. And and I mean, the thing that everyone, I feel like it's important to know about therapists is we all come out of school with our little basic handbag of tools. And then our experience, where we're working, our population, our continuing education, we put different tools in our handbag. And so one therapist, she might be a hu- amazing therapist, but not for your specific needs. And that's okay. Like we're not all the same, you know? So everyone's got different, different tools. And if your kid's a screw, she shouldn't use a hammer on it. And if that may right. be the only tool she has for this particular problem, your kid has. So it's okay just to move on and find someone else. Yeah, I agree. Um, Well, you know, I love talking to you so I could talk to you for like ten hours, but um Me people too. probably don't want to listen fun. for for ten hours. <laughs> I know if only we lived closer, that would be amazing. I know. We could have real life coffee. <laughs> um is there any is there any like ending thoughts that you wanna put out there? I know you've already given us your um that advice was great, by the way, but I know you've already given that any ending thoughts that you'd like to say? Um Um no. No
0: ending thoughts. I think that your whole project is really great, and I'm excited to see where Blue Bee Collective goes from here. Um, Thanks, I, me too. <laughs> yes, um, I I don't know when this podcast will come out, but um, I'm just about to launch the 2024 editions of the Caregiver Compass um, on October 6th. and Blue Bee Collective listeners of this podcast can get free shipping with the code Blue Free. So I sent it to you. Awesome. Thank you
1: so, you Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, I'll put that on my stuff. And then for every caregiver, whether you're brand new, just coming out of the NICU and have this medical baby that you're like, how in the world am I going to do this? <laughs> to I've been caregiving for 15, 20 years. I got this. This is old hat. Everyone needs this caregiver compass. Um, I'm actually I'm going to buy one myself, even though I'm not a caregiver and I'll just, you know, I don't necessarily need to use some of the pages. But the other stuff you put in there and the thought you put into it and your personal experience like there is not a, like a publisher, a, you know, a big company that could write something like this because this is a lived experience, trial and error, and you put it all together for us to all make our lives easier. So hundred percent, I think everybody, every caregiver needs this. We need to figure out a way to get this into everybody's hands as they discharge from the NICU, as they discharge from transitional care units around the country. Like I'm a, Thank I'm, you so much. Huge believer in it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, thank you. So, and you know, if anyone, I just say if anyone wants to reach out to me or you want to follow me on Instagram, um, I'm at The Caregiver Compass at, uh, on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on TikTok too. And you can find me at Tiny TV Shop, same thing on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and it's
1: thecaregivercompass.com. I'd love to talk to you if anyone okay, ti- wants to reach out. Tiny To Shop is Etsy, correct? Mhm.
0: Yes, Okay. on Etsy. Yeah. Tiny To so Be Shop
1: Everyone. etsy.com. Awesome. Everyone go do all of her stuff. She's an amazing human being and we want to support other medical moms. So thank you so much. Um, I love talking to you. So I appreciate you coming on and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to this episode with Emily at the Caregiver's Compass. I had so much fun recording this, and Emily is such a neat person. I love supporting other medical moms, other medical caregivers, and their small businesses, and I really do honestly feel passionate about this product because I feel like this will solve a lot of issues that we have of being organized, writing down all of our dates, our physicians, our phone numbers, and really will set us up for success so that we can have some time off. We can have other people, we can empower other people to help care give for our kiddos. So go over to the website right now, thecaregivercompass.com, That's thecaregivercompass.com and use my promo code BLUEB10, blue as in the color, B as in the bug, and 10 as in the number for 10% off um, your order today. And you'll get a free pack of organizational tabs because let's face it, who doesn't love organizational tabs? I'm going to get myself one too using my own promo code. And, hey, this is going to help you to really set yourself up to be even more fierce than you are, to get yourself all organized. And remember, until next time, you're doing great and you belong.